like that old song goes, if you can't play the game you love, love the game you're playing. Welcome to Play Rock. Podcast about RPGs, fun, food, more RPGs. Grab your dice, sit back, and get ready to play it wrong. Hello listeners, and it's been a crazy week around here. Uh, it can get crazier, you know, sitting around at a meeting at work. Some dummy says something stupid like, you know, it would be fun if we started an office D&D club. Yeah, that dummy was me, so guess who's starting an office D&D club? And what else is going on? Not that much. I'll save the gaming bits for the session summary, which will be coming up next. And uh, But, hey, there's something else coming up right now. It's time for the news. Generalissimo Francisco Franco is still dead. And if you're old enough to get that joke, you will probably not live long enough to see the Lamentations of the Flame Princess Ref book. But hey, you might get a bucket. And now back to your regularly scheduled programming. Session Summary Ah, what happened last week in gaming? Well, it was a Labyrinth Lord game, and I have to rewind a bit. The previous session, they had uh, basically been attacked by the evil leader of the Church of Tiamat, and the party (coughs) lost the fight. So this session pretty much started off with them being in their BVDs, no equipment, and breaking out of a dungeon. Now, what ended up happening is they ended up going through the dungeon, not finding their gear, and searching and searching for it. But however, noting that the cult somehow did have an inordinate amount of money. And it took them a while to finally, actually I had to finally tell them that, well, they sold your stuff. And then they thought for a while, and they couldn't figure out where they sold it. I just smiled, looked at him, and said, best magic shop in town? Oh, yeah, you know where you guys bought all your stuff and you sold a bunch of stuff? Oh, yeah, and also the place where the uh, paladin forbade the uh, party from going. Because the way I do paladins, uh, normally the detect evil goes off of if there's evil intent. I make an exception when a being is supernaturally evil, namely demons, similar outsiders, and undead. So they don't know what exactly the shopkeeper is. But the paladin knows he detects his evil, and in case they're listening, I'm not saying. And, well, let's see, next up there, are going to go after that evil cult leader in, the, in his draconic lair, so they're going to fight a big, mean red dragon. And, of course, next week's game that I'm playing this Thursday is our Delta Green game that we just started, so hopefully that will be something interesting coming up very soon. All right, that is the session summary for this week. And now it's time for the meat of the episode. And this week, I'm going to continue on what I talked about last week a little bit, but in more detail. Last week, I talked about Swords and Wizardry as the gateway game to old-school gaming for modern gamers. This week, I want to hit that same idea, but I'm going to delve a little deeper into mechanics and so on. Now, there are a lot of reviews for Swords and Wizardry on blogs, podcasts, YouTube channels, and, well, all over the Internet. So, a lot of things I'm going to kind of skip over or ignore. First, but one thing I want to start with is the flavors of swords and wizardry. Basically, you've got four. There is continual light and light, which is the 
lightest version, which only uses D20s and D6s, has some very simple scaled back rules, and based off Swords and Wizardry White Box, which is kind of the next step up, which is based on the original three little brown books, but still with the Swords and Wizardry flair. Then you have Swords and Wizardry Core, which is, well, basically it's basic D&D, okay? Four classes, usual stuff. Then Complete kind of brings in all what you would consider the usual things all together, with the usual classes, usual races, and so on, and is much more expanded, kind of closer to AD&D. I know these aren't exact. I know somebody's like, that's not exactly what it is, but it's close. So there are lots of options in Swords and Wizardry that emulate the old game's mechanics. Namely, there's two. One is, of course, Ascending versus Descending Armor Class. Now, the newer players, 3rd edition on, they're used to Ascending Armor Class. Old folks are used to Descending Armor Class. And to be honest, when we were playing 2nd edition, we house-ruled in Ascending Armor Class because it just makes more sense. So, this isn't a debate about this, but this is about someone from 5th edition looking at Swords and Wizardry or was a good game to, to, to like, it's kind of old school, but like 5th edition. Well, Swords and Wizardry. So, we've got the option, and we're going to use the option for Ascending Armor Class. The other thing is, the old games had five saving throws. Those are in the rules. But the standard is the single saving throw with a modifier based on race or class. So, for the purposes of this little rant, we are, one, going to ignore Descending Armor Class. We're just going to assume Ascending Armor Class. Two, we're going to ignore five saving throws, and we're going to focus on the single saving throw that is kind of the go-to mechanic for anyone who actually plays Swords of Wizardry, even though I'm sure some people use the five saves. So, for the purposes of this rant, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to grab up my copy of Swords and Wizardry Complete, with the Otis cover, by the way, and kind of go through it and look at some highlights as if I had never played an old-school game, but going to explain it sort of in 5th edition terms, or how it's similar and no reason to freak out. Now, also, to keep this in comparison-wise so I don't get confused, I've got my copy of the 5th edition Player's Handbook here handy. So we're going to compare a few things and just kind of think about them. All right. So the first thing I want to look at in general are the attribute scores. What makes characters characters? And so, Swords and Wizardry basically have a modifier from minus 2 to plus 2. Eh, there you go. As opposed to around 5e where it can go all the way up to plus 5. But still, it's, it's, it's not a deal breaker because characters have lower hit points too. So you don't need extra bunches of damage or whatever. Plus, you know, monsters don't have bunches of hit points either. They're dangerous, but they're still there. Now, now I know I was just looking at the strength chart, and there's different charts for dexterity and charisma and intelligence. But a lot of the variants for Swords and Wizardry go with a unified modifier, like 3rd edition, which you could easily do. And that's the thing is, old school games, just tweak it around when you want to. Hint, there's a preview of next episode. It's going to be a lot about tweaking games. All right. And that's it. I mean, literally, in Swords and Wizardry, the attributes are like two pages. That's it. And then they go into the classes. Okay. Classes, I mean, they're basically the same set of 
archetypes, we'll call them. Now, you know, there's no feeds, there's no cantrips for the spellcasters, so they actually have to, like, kind of, they don't have a go-to thing other than, well, I got an extra crossbow handy, and you've got the single saving throw, and thieves are the only one with skills. So that may seem daunting and crazy at first, but, you know, if you're listening to this, you've got internet access. So travel around and get some ideas about how people work with no skills, using attribute rolls, you know, check attribute checks, and you know what? There's not really a wrong system. Now, there's different variances, but there's no really wrong system. So it's kind of, you can do the X amount of D6 versus the score, or roll under, or, you know, whatever strikes your boat. Now I'm going to look at the fighter. Okay, saving throws. I mentioned this last, last episode with the single saving throw with bonuses. Fighter, first level is 14. So roll 14 or higher, with a plus 2 versus death and poison. Okay? Easy. Generally, you can or can't use attribute modifiers. I found attribute modifiers generally make it too easy. But that's just my thought. And like I mentioned the other episode, the way I explained it to my five, my the group that I'm playing with have only played 5e and 3rd edition before, and we're doing Labyrinth Lord, the saving throws are you know, just like in 5th edition, where it, the caster creates the DC. In this particular case, it is the target that actually sets the, the DC. Now, the lack of skills, feats, and cantrips may seem to the new person that this cuts out a lot of options for player characters. It cuts out options that are on the character sheet, but it opens up options that you can come up with in your head for crazy stuff. And guess what? There is nothing that says you can't take the skill system from 5e and basically just move it over. You can do that. Attribute modifier, d20 roll, versioncy bonus, it'll wait. Now, I'll admit the classes don't have all the cool powers that the 5e classes have. And I hesitate to say cool, but it's cool for 5e. But then again, none of them have it, so none of them get the advantage of those powers without... But that doesn't mean the GM can't make magic items that emulate those powers. And that's basically how player characters will run. Not that much different, really, with a few house rules. Now let's talk about monsters. Now, generally, the monsters have fewer hit points and do less damage. And there's another really big difference on monsters. In 5e, you've got the lair actions and the legendary actions. Both of these are thematic and keep a boss monster from getting dropped in one round. Once again, there's nothing saying that a DM can't house rule things like that in, depending on the monster. I mean, a lich having all sorts of undead minions to pop up and do extra damage to the characters, it's thematically appropriate. Now, if you can't just copy it word for word, damage for damage, because, like I said, the characters and the monsters have fewer hit points. When I did a conversion of running an old school module with 5e, I just doubled the hit points. So I would say roughly, if you're doing 5e stuff, converting it in, about half the damage. Oh, so there you go. That's that's my my roundabout way of uh, 
using Swords and Wizardry Complete with the 5e flavor. And, you know, maybe that just a little bit to cushion the transition over to that and later on maybe go to Old School Essentials or Basic Fantasy or one of the more... or, or Labyrinth Lord, like I'm running right now. One of the many games that just emulate the old versions slash editions of D&D. Now, is this a complete list of things you could possibly do to make that transition from 5e to old school easier? Yeah, but you have to gauge that by your players, the GM skill, and what they want and what they're expecting. Very much like, I've said this a lot of times, when people convert between games, it's not so much doing the math, but getting the feel right. And with that, I'm going to end this week's you know, main part rant. And now a word from our sponsors. Well, actually, we don't have sponsors, but hey, you can be a sponsor. You can subscribe on Anchor. A little 99 cents a month, you can, like, well, it's a little bit cash my way. Or if you really want to have, go all in, visit patreon.com forward slash they might be gazebos and become a patron. Right now, Tim Gothridge Manor Schwartz. Yes, the awesome man, the man, the myth, the mystery. He's a patron. And I want to thank Tim. I said that last episode. And uh, the word's going out, spreading. I'm not trying to spam all social media like they told me to. I'm just letting the word come out slowly but surely. And if you do, I thank you very much. Just check it out. Hey, there might be some freebies over on uh, the Patreon. Hmm? Hmm? Coming up? All right. That's the goal. All right. Thank you for listening. And now we continue on with our show. This is D&D Bootcamp. Here you will learn about the Dungeons and the Dragons. If you don't, you will die a horrible and embarrassing death. Your friends will loot your body and leave your cold corpse to be eaten by giant rats. Yes, it's that section of the show where I talk about tips and tricks for beginners. Those people first starting out in the wide, wonderful world of Dungeons, Dragons, and other role-playing games. And I was kind of debating what to do this episode on this, but I'm going to think I'm going to start here because it's one of the early questions people ask or one of the first discussions they have at the game table. And that's, what should I play? Well, first, I want to say that depends on the game you're playing. But pretty much the advice is, covers all those bases anyway. Play what you want to, but be aware some classes are a little tougher than others. So for the purpose of this D&D boot camp, I'm going to break up character classes and their potential pitfalls into some wide groups. First, we're going to start with the fighter type. The I run up and hit it with my axe, my sword, or shoot it with arrows or whatever. So that's usually back in the old days that was, oh, it's your first time, play a fighter. But you know, with, if you're doing 5e, then you got lots of options for fighter. But the only real downfall is if you happen to run up to something, you probably really shouldn't. But other than that, they're fairly simple. Now, the spellcasters are always the tough ones because you're stuck with uh, what spells to cast, when to cast them, and there's a whole long list of options. So that's where it's very important for the other people and the GM at the table to kind of nurture and suggest things to new players. 
because spellcasters are a little more difficult when it comes to especially having to choose which spells to take and when to cast them or to give them information that their character should have but doesn't mean the player has like it will be completely pointless to cast fireball on that demon because it's immune to fire wizard should know that new player might not and the third type of character, of course, is the skilled character. In old school games, that's the thief. They're the only one with skills, really, and they have a specific set of skills that are handy in a dungeon. They ain't that great at fighting, and in old school games, they are tissue paper. 5e, I think they did a really good job of making the thief a little more interesting. But once again, it's very much a character class that relies on tactics, especially in fighting. Other than that, you got one job, that's check for traps, disarm traps, and unlock the door, and move on. Maybe you can backstab, but it's a lot tougher in old games. It's a lot easier in new games. Now, like I said at the beginning of this segment, the key is play whatever you want, play what you're comfortable with, and the more experienced players and the GM should suggest, not tell you what to do, make suggestions, and still make your own decisions, but hey, if you're new, Listen to them, and if you don't understand what they're, they're explaining, ask. <clears throat> you know, for experienced gamers, it's kind of one of the things. We're the best recruiters. And so, as Bill and Ted said, be excellent to each other. Be a mentor. Be cool. Show how much fun the game is. And with that, we're moving on to, guess what? It's that one wonderful section of the show. Ancient Forbidden Knowledge. So, this section of the show is me reading from the original D&D books and making improvised comments as we go along. I'm probably going to say this every time for case anybody's new listeners. And for this episode, we are still on Supplement 1 Greyhawk, which we just started. And this is a very special supplement, as I explained last episode. And we're going to see why it's very special uh, here in a second, because... We started the book last week, but now we're moving into statistics regarding classes. And here is where it first starts seeing modern D&D. And by modern, I mean AD&D and basic. Because we now have variable hit dice. With thieves and magic users with a D4, clerics with a D6, and fighters with a D8. That's where they go all over the thief skills. And then... We have additional guidelines, so this is this is the origin of that. And I'm going through the book in order, even though it would make more sense to have the other stuff come up next, but they have an alternate XP system, yay. Which I'm going to kind of skip because XP are pain in the ass. All right. But um, we have an extra rule for awarding experience for NPCs. This is a change. It is absolutely mandatory the experience for non-player characters be computed, bonuses added, and then the whole reduced by 50. This rips the fact that they are in the higher of some character and because of this capacity are not as prone to benefit from experience. Note, however, that any skimping on their share of treasure will naturally have a highly adverse effect on their loyalty to the character, which most characters should learn by now. But here's where we get some of the stupid stuff next. The alternate combat system. This is where... We had to hit modifiers by weapon type based on the defender's armor class. Not necessarily their armor, but their armor class. 
this go back goes back to the wargaming rules of having it uh, have weird charts. Um, but this is kind of, I mean, I'm going to read the beginning from this. For those who wish to include weapon types in the determination of hit probabilities, the following matrix is drawn from the hand-to-hand -hand combat section of Chainmail. Yay, it's another thing from Chainmail. If the system is used, it suggests that separate damage by weapon type and monster type be employed. Treat thieves as clerics for purposes of advanced steps or levels. Slash group 1 to 4. I have no idea. With regard to saving throws, treat thieves as magic users. I have no idea what that means, but hey, it's really kind of weird because it mentions saving throws and everything else. That's, I mean, that's something which, thank God, got dropped. But then, the addition of damage by weapon type. That's right, you get your standard. Daggers do D4, longswords do D8, etc., etc., etc. However, there's one thing that happened in the old school games. You had to be good at math and know your dice, because there wasn't the standard dice notation of your dagger does 1D4, no, your dagger does 1 to 4. And this is all pretty obvious because it's all set 1 to 6, 1 to 8. But when you get the weird combinations like 2 to 16, okay, that's 2 to 8, 3 to 8. But sometimes monster attacks get really weird numbers where it could be one or two ways you could do it with the dice, but it doesn't quite say. But this is where this started of the... Uh, <clears throat> that but there's one thing from old D&D once again glad that it did not make it all the way to modern day is the damage for weapons was also uh, affected by the size of your opponent so like that sword might have done 1d8 against man-sized opponents it did 1d12 against larger opponents I don't know why it just did so larger opponents had more hit points so you did more damage which was kind of a weird balance act I think but kind of a dumb one at that and then, of course, magical armor and the oomphs with that. But then they furthered on, and we have a ma, moi, a massive chart going over the changes of monster damage and having multiple attacks. These things weren't really around in the original three little brown books. You know, everything did like a d6, you know, even monsters. But this, this added, you know, what we come to know and love is modern D&D. I mean, this took over in basic, BX, advanced D&D, second, third. These ideas carried on and on and on as standard D&D. So with that, and I know this episode's running long, we are going to go into the sign out here. So thanks for listening. I know this episode seemed a little low energy, but it's been a weird day and a weird week. Thank you for listening, and please visit the blog at theymightbegazebos.blog. It's theymightbegazebos.blog, and it's B, not the letter B. It's the letter B, not B-E, because I still have to update the domain, and well, we'll see what happens. Or find us on Facebook at theymightbegazebos, where I spelled it right. If you like the show, please check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash theymightbegazebos, all one word. Or, hey, subscribe on Anchor. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening. Keep those dice rolling. Kill monsters, take their stuff, and most of all, have fun, folks. Thank you very much, and have a great game and week.